What I found is that photographers are actually really suspicious and what that meant at WeTransfer in the first kind of like three months I was there, I was going to agents and going to photographers and saying, we really want to like fund work that you're doing. Well, welcome Lucy. Welcome to the Small Talk podcast. Um, lovely to have you. Before we get into Recky, um, to sort of talk about your brand challenges and, and, and all of that, we want to hear a bit about you, your background, um, and yeah, how you arrived at Recky. I think it probably makes sense for me to start at the beginning, um, because I th maybe it's not the traditional way of how I would get into this role. Um, so I actually studied photojournalism at uni. Uh, I think at one point I wanted to be a war photographer. Very quickly realised that probably wasn't going to happen. Or I maybe didn't have the right... There was definitely people in my class I could see had the right kind of personality yeah. for that. But for you know, me, like, it was okay, like... They're a bit better than I am. Yeah, maybe exactly. I need a different exactly. Um, and so what happened from there is in our second year of uni, we worked on the newspaper and they decided I could be the deputy picture editor and kind of everyone around me was going like oh my god I can't believe we're not out shooting and I was sat there thinking oh my god I'm <laughs> loving what we're doing and so kind of from that I kind of made a way of trying to get uh, work experience so I worked at the Times from the second year of uni I was a picture editor there for three years uh, then I moved to Berlin and started working at a startup and I think that maybe this is when it starts to make sense of what what we're doing now so I went to uh, a photography startup uh, called I Am. Um, what at the time was really cool was that the founders were young and they were really excited about growing this uh, community. And so we, I kind of did all the stuff you would do, I guess, at that time uh, to grow a community. So that was like conferences, magazines. We were doing like social editorial. We were going out and meeting people, doing photo walks. And uh, from that, I uh, got a job at WeTransfer looking after photography. Uh, again, this was kind of then like creating a community part two because uh, everything was digital and what we were doing there was commissioning uh, creatives and trying to kind of like put money back into the industry for new work and that was kind of WeTransfer's ethos and, and what we were uh, like aiming to do because we knew that the people who were using WeTransfer were creatives and so we started an editorial site called WePresent so all that work lived on that editorial site. Oh, fascinating. So then when, with, with retransfer, obviously community is a bit of a buzzword. Yes. Right? Everyone's trying to build a yeah. community, right? Um, so, well, firstly, when was it you were trying to build a community and retransfer? Yeah. And then to what extent, yeah, did you have success in it? How did you do it? It would also be really interesting to understand your insights. Clearly, you're, you're a, more than community builder, you're a great B2B community builder, I feel. So it'd be interesting to understand and, and touch on your point of view like we always say b2b is a big fallacy and b2b is mm. still b2c which mm -hmm. you i know you kind of have a, a lot of sympathy with but it'd be good to understand yeah how you approach it particularly within that kind of sector so i think with the first startup i worked at because it was offline you had this real like feeling of getting to know people and we had like really regular people that would turn up and it actually was quite a different shift to go to WeTransfer and it, and it be predominantly digital at the start um, we were also kind of figuring it out. I mean, they hired me as head of photography. They already, they already had a head of music, but we didn't have an editorial site. And kind of all the ways that we were working was through partnerships. And I guess there's two things which maybe then slightly touched on Recky, but what I found is that photographers are actually really suspicious. Um, they're not necessarily super trusting. And what that meant at WeTransfer in the first kind of like three months I was there, 
uh, I was going to agents and going to photographers and saying, oh, you know, we really want to like fund work that you're doing, um, but it's going to be editorial. So it's not going to be like big billboard work, but we want to start creating something um, new. And this hasn't really been done by that many tech companies. I guess it's what, six years ago, seven years ago. Um, and I remember actually being in Notting Hill going to uh, an agent, I won't say the photographer, but a big photographer. And I walked out of that and I just felt so frustrated because I felt like no one's getting what we're, what we're trying to do. And, and it actually did come from a good place. I mean, in the sense of, of course, we wanted like brand awareness. We wanted people to feel affiliated with, with WeTransfer. But the kind of insight that we had was that uh, it was for creatives. The people that were using WeTransfer were, were creative people. And, and the idea that we had is that you guys use WeTransfer and if you went onto the background and you saw some work there, you could feel inspired by it. Because yeah. it wouldn't, I think it was also at the time where your whole like Instagram algorithm was like people you were deciding to look at and follow. And so what we kind of thought was like, how can we still inspire the creative community that we know are using WeTransfer by having new work always on the site? And so I guess in terms of like creating a community, what really helped is that maybe after that meeting, I started to think like, I have to go a different way about explaining it. And that was finding photographers who really wanted to like create new work, but maybe more for like a purpose. So it was like not researching necessarily like who's hot right now. It was looking at like, who's like a hot photographer, but also like, what do they care about? And how can we like also bring something that's useful to them? So is it then that a photographer has this personal project they've not been able to get off the ground and we can fund that mm. because what I was seeing in photography is that like a brand would pay you a lot of money, but you'd have some creativity, but they'd obviously have like agents, agencies and, and their creative directors that would kind of have input. And then you'd want to go and do a personal project, but you'd never get funding for it. Mm. And kind of where I started to see it is, you know, how in that sense, can we fund people to do personal projects? That means they're getting like creativity, their work out there. It's the stuff that they really care about. And that was actually the big switch that we had. So I guess moving to your um, question around like B2B, it's actually funny because I would say that we transfer, I saw as B2C, but I guess you're right in the sense um, Well, at least typically was, when you're dealing yeah. with the agents. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. But I guess um, it's then finding the things that people are suspicious about and then tr and being kind of consistent around what you're actually trying to do and at WeTransfer that was a real um, balance that we that we had to make like if I'm not crediting a photographer somewhere or if I'm somehow looking like shady like a you know a tech brand you could immediately lose that trust and so we were super careful about everything like that and I think you see that maybe then with like a similar community like chefs is i was about to say yeah. i can completely see when you explain that i can see well, how you're doing the exact same thing for recce yeah and i guess like, that leads us nicely on to recce um mm -hmm. which is where, where you're at now um yeah. for those who don't know please uh, tell us what recce for is sure. and what your role is within recce um recce started off as an ordering app for chefs the idea being that uh you could centralize all your orders uh, through an app, you could get the whole team on board and then you'd be able to order from any supplier that you, you would usually work with. Um, over the pandemic, obviously, restaurants weren't ordering as much, they were closing down. 
And what Recky did was actually start to kind of look at what else they could do for the industry. And so actually we also have now a marketplace for chefs. So chefs can go and uh, shop and order ingredients from any supplier. It doesn't have to be existing. And I look after marketing there. Uh, or as you know, as the website puts it, um, you're the chef, we do the rest, yeah. which I, I really liked <laughs> as, a, as a line. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit more about the brand itself. So obviously you have a brand that is um, literally built to serve. I think that's one of the, the amazing mm -hmm. things that comes out from everything that um, we've read and from, from speaking to you about, um, about Recce as well. Your, your audience are typically people who are serving at all other times, they are they are usually the the, the servants or the mm -hmm. ones who are, are serving. So you are really conscious about building sort of a brand that serves. But yeah, talk to us a little bit about the brand and how it flexes and and yeah, how you've kind of built it. I guess. So the founders uh, had a restaurant in Soho called Hermes Brothers, and they uh, ended up having six sites around London. I think what that has done, as they're like not only with the owner, but sometimes they were happy to you know stand in and be the chef and they understood like how kind of the whole industry worked that made it that's kind of then influenced everything we do at recce and so i guess in that sense the brand was kind of like okay the founder story fits uh well to already kind of what we were doing or what they were doing is that if anything as a brand it's been that they didn't really want to say too much about themselves and so everything that they were doing was actually like, it naturally went to like going and photographing in kitchens or, you know, how they would go and speak to people was that they were already in the industry. And so it did kind of create this authenticity of that they always were trying to do something that helped. And I think that that was uh, a big reason that I saw the similarities, I guess, at WeTransfer that then I did at Recce, which was like, oh, it feels like they, there's something that they really want to make a, a difference is maybe a bit corny, but like that there was like an authentic reason yeah. that why they were doing it. There was a problem that they were trying to solve and I quite... They saw the issues right up front. Yeah. They were at the coalface. They realised exactly. the pitfalls of existing technology. Yeah. It was pain they felt, right? Yeah. It was uh, empathy rather than sympathy. Is that the right? Yeah, word? that is yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's your snippet. Um, <laughs> um, that, that even seeps down into, um, like, from reading some of, some of the bits and bobs. And I, I think it was from, I don't, I don't want to butcher their title, but it was either the, um, one of the engineers basically who worked at Recce, yeah. wrote a brilliant article, yeah. uh, Medium article, that was all about how you, you guys within the, within the organisation, but um, his, he specifically was kind of motivated to actually go and experience what yeah. it's like to be in a kitchen, go yeah. and experience what it's like to be in a warehouse. Is that something that happens en masse within the organisation? Yeah. Um, and what's that kind of experience like? Yes. I think we're always looking at ways that you can uh, do it without like pissing, like yeah. obviously we want our users to be like using Recce. So then if we keep being like, hey, somebody's getting onboarded to the company, yeah, can we yeah. join? But what is good is like, for example, if our, account managers will go out, I'll be able to say as like a team lead, like, hey, can my team come with you or can I come with you? Or uh, we've now like, I think I'm also very conscious of like uh, who we get in as um, hiring and freelancers. So like a lot of people, the question is like, our photographer used to be a chef, like freelancers that we've had, like yeah. have used to work at restaurants and then have been writing for us. And I think, uh, kind of the mentality of working in a kitchen understanding that it's difficult but also there's like 
everyone's very passionate and understanding the kind of ups and downs that comes with that I think is important because that's kind of yeah it's the mentality that yeah. it's is also it? started the company absolutely it's interesting as well because you although like you say you've only been there a year and there was lots of lots that were set up when you arrived or before you had arrived but then you said at WeTransfer it was evident that when you work photographers there was a skepticism a cynicism yeah. so then you had to really be like well what do you want to do and then we'll be a bit more yeah. reflective of that, which sounds like it's very similar with Recky, right? It's yeah. a bit like, well, we want people from your world to work for us so that we actually are really reflecting you and we can build the best brand and business possible for what you're actually catering to. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? Mm. Similar experiences. I would say at WeTransfer, though, there was this, like, everyone loved it. Like, everyone would be like, oh, my God, I love WeTransfer. Yeah. It was, like, really, like, if you were a photographer that used it, it was, like, a very easy sell-in. Mm. Whereas I think... Like photography was naturally tech, and yeah. so like you had to be tech savvy kind of to be a photographer. Yeah. You know, by that point it'd gone from like film to digital. Whereas at Recce, people who love Recce are the people that have used it like every day. They have their whole team on it, but that like takes a long time to build mm. up. You're not just one individual person you're trying to mm. kind of sell it to. You're getting like the owner, the chef, the sous chef, like all involved, and then ordering from multiple people, and so. I think it's it's a different sell than than yeah. I had at yeah. WeTransfer for sure. How, how do you do that? How do you start to create that stickiness? Like, yeah. what where where's the turning point usually when you when you get into a particular restaurant? Um, what are the tools that you have at your disposal to to start to nudge them to you yeah. know be a, a sticky sticky user? Again, it comes to the audience. How many chefs do you think read their emails? Like the traditional ways of marketing don't really, yeah, yeah. like us having a newsletter, I don't think it's really gonna work. And so trying to find the ways that you can start to say like, oh, that will feel right for them. And, and actually I think it's a lot of like product stuff and, and that is a lot less creative. So th this is stuff that we're kind of testing at the moment. Yeah, and I guess to be honest, I was gonna save this to talk about at the end, but you kind of brought it up nicely yeah. there. And one of the brilliant things that you guys have done recently, your, your most recent marketing campaign, which literally looks at that insight behind you, you've got a particular niche audience, like you said right mm -hmm. there, how many chefs check their emails. Um, also, how many chefs, when you're thinking about doing an out-of-home campaign, mm -hmm. you guys obviously had this insight of how many chefs are actually going to be out and about looking at our ads when they're working you know, 12 hour shifts into the night and then coming out where, you know, there, there aren't many ads to be seen around um, or very early mornings when they're pulling up the shutters, which then led to you guys coming up with a brilliant campaign, which uh, it'd be amazing if you could sort of talk through um, and talk through the insight behind. The starting point was how do we do out of home but slightly differently? I couldn't really work out what that meant. I think we even spoke to you yeah. guys and it was a terrible brief really, but I couldn't really work out like, oh, how do we do something that that feels, I don't know, al aligned in some way, I guess. And so it actually started with us trying to look at like, when restaurants are getting renovated, they usually put this like quite horrible um, white paint all over the windows, so you can't see in, but it doesn't really like create any hype around the restaurant or, and so, yeah, so, yeah. And so we were trying to work out how we could leverage something like that. So I was like emailing estate agents and trying to work out like which construction companies usually do uh, new like setup of restaurants and it was quite tricky and actually it was uh, Monica and my team who came in on a Monday and said oh, I went walked around Camden on Saturday and there's actually loads of shutters and it was kind of then when she said it it was like oh yeah that would make so much that actually logistically makes a lot more sense and it and it meant what we could then do is we went well, it was a lot of early mornings walking around London working out what users had shutters and then calling them and kind of convincing them to do it and so I think the key for us 
is what you said, like the insight of what are restaurants doing? What are they going through? When are they opening? When they're when are they shutting? And then also for chefs, like when are chefs going to be seeing shutters yet? When restaurants are closed? Yeah. And then also what was great is that we were able to then basically pay the restaurants that we use to rent their shutters. So it kind of went, it felt full full circle. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. It's, it's started of an audience, audience insight and then also helped fuel an audience reward, I guess, yeah. at the end of it, um, which if by your own mission you had more, more set, that's one of the sticky things you could be offering, yeah, you know, yeah. if you had a reward True. system built up of like offering, a, offering up um, shutters for, for using, using recce yeah. or reward system based on that, just a free idea. Yeah, thank you very um, much. <laughs> <laughs> would be one of the things, but no, it's great. And it even like extends to, I think your, your understanding of your niche is, because everyone says they understand their audience and everyone says they're customer obsessed. Mm. Um, but the extent that goes to is that they, do a survey and an email when someone buys yeah. something through e-com. But because you guys are a very different business and those traditional methods don't work, you actually have become obsessed, like literally kind of doing ethnographic research to an, mm. to, to an instance. Like, um, Is that bad? I don't know what that is. Well, it's, uh, I did geography at uni, so that's yeah, right, okay. uh, But it's when you go, I don't know. It's when you go and like live and experience what those people go Got through. It. So like, as a research method, like anthropologists do it when they go and like right. study tribes or whatever. But okay. you might do it where you go and say, oh, I need to know what it's like to be a lorry driver and you go and be a lorry driver yeah. or you know live with a lorry driver for, for a week yeah live in a lorry for a week yeah. that um, is literally what one of our supply so someone just joined the like supplier sales team and for two days he went out and yeah. just like was with the supplier driver for two days and it was really nice because he what then happens a lot if we've set that up is that they come back and like report what it's like and it was really i think in that sense you do get like insights that um you maybe wouldn't have before of like he was saying like I didn't realize the difficulty of a supplier when you get to a restaurant you can't find where to put the stuff no one said you know all these different things that for the whole company you're kind of like oh I didn't yeah okay I didn't think about that either and so yeah I do think that kind of research is great if you can we have to always like wrangle people into it yeah yeah well precisely and you would yeah. never probably get that from sitting down and doing an interview with with that same no. lorry driver you can ask somebody what their problems or challenges are which we will do mm. today but until you actually see someone experiencing that challenge they they might not even know they, they yeah. sort of had it well and even to get an interview for a chef is pretty and, tricky yeah, yeah likewise yeah it's better <laughs> to just kind of shout they didn't have a lot of time yeah <laughs> that was actually an, and one the last thing on uh your brilliant customer insights or maybe not the last one but um your approach to merch, uh, Harv and I, like Harv and I have always been so reluctant to do any merch because we're just like, what do people actually need or want? Mm. And sometimes it's different when you're an agency, right? And, and our customer base is quite broad in terms of the type of people mm. that we might work with. They're not all, you know, chefs uh, mm. necessarily. But I really love how uh, you guys literally looked at that and were like, well, what do chefs use? markers markers yeah. and they're using a consistent basis and you have like those really lovely fat recce markers mm -hmm. which you kind of give out uh, to chefs on mass um yeah um i can't take credit for that that was uh the creative director at the time david who yeah. worked on that with the team i think it comes back again to this thing that the the founders worked in the kitchen so like i've literally been in meetings before where we've looked at like where else could we put branding and like we're going through like what goes in and out of a what goes in and out of the kitchen? Yeah. What are things that chefs see on a daily basis? What are suppliers using that 
we could somehow like put branding on and I, th I think the pen is it kind of then just again follows that same ethos so to explain it it's kind of a sharpie and then it's got different measurements around the side which you might need as a chef yeah, but, yeah, yeah. to kind of use as like a ruler for chopping yeah. it's great it's brilliant yeah, really um, good idea my next question was um so again you by your own admission haven't done um loads of above the line advertising or traditional advertising but you guys do put out some really beautiful um film work for instance mm -hmm. um, film and photography which obviously you have a lot of experience with um i wonder if you could just talk to me a little bit about some of those pieces that you've done like you do you, there's a brilliant ad you guys have done which is literally from the pov of a chef and lots of the ads that you do are from the pov yeah. of a chef that kind of show what it's like i guess again show your understanding that you know what it's like to be a chef because you're literally from their point of view mm. and lots of the creative that you have but yeah i wonder if you could just touch on that i think with uh, there was two video series. One was, um, the first one was Lights Out. The idea being, and this is actually, I think it, our CEO really pushed for this video. And um, the idea was that it was supposed to kind of give you this feeling of, of being a chef and getting up early and, and the work that kind of goes into it. And, and I guess with that, like aligned chefs to show that we kind of understood the point of view. Um, we went on to do a series that was kind of longer. And, and there's two things about it. I think they are like gorgeous films and I think we've also done this with other places in other places that I've worked spent a lot of time of these of these films that I think like you guys love I love but like is a chef going to sit down and watch mm. that I'm not sure and so we like with the lights on we like chop them up and use them differently and use them on social but we really with what the POV stuff especially with them using the GoPro that came from our co-founder Noam who again was part of Hummus Brothers. And he was like, I love this stuff. I've been shooting it for ages. And what that style has enabled us to do is actually work, we work with an agency called Second Window, the guy who, who we work yeah. with, Sam. And he then has now got a GoPro and it's like, boom, it's this recce style that we yeah. can use. And that's meant it's gone from like, not only us trying to do reels into us now using it for ads. and. I think it's just a very easy way of showing like, okay, this visually shows that we care about the point of view. That, I think that does shine through and it's, it's, yeah, again, I guess there's a whole other discussion around media and delivery and how do you make sure chefs yeah. actually see it. Um, but as a start for anyone who is a football fan, who used to watch football ads way back when, it really reminds me of the, um, I think it was meant to be like Van Persie, wasn't it? Yeah. There's like a POV, famous like Nike football mm. ad, and it's like a POV of um, what it's like to be a pro footballer, and everyone thinks it's like yeah. a lovely time, and it's like but it's from know. grassroots, isn't it? Yeah, so it's from like grassroots, yeah, yeah. training. It's either it's either meant to be no, it's yeah. not meant to be. It's meant to be like Van Persie or yeah. somebody because he like plays for Arsenal. And yeah. 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 It's very, very. I'll send you an example if you, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, but very similar to that. Um, and. Yeah, we'll post the link of the of the video as well so people can sort of see it. But sorry, then maybe I should say the point of the video. I think what the videos did do for the brand, and I know say, I say, like, oh, will chefs watch it? It did create a buzz because they were, because what it did, and this is a lot of what David kind of brought to the company, is like Recky could have looked like a normal B2B company and what he came in and did is made it look b2c mm -hmm. and that was the thing that actually really excited me about joining was like okay these co-founders they've got this experience of working in the kitchen but with like creative design and brand they're ready to be like risky and look like a b2c company and kind of all of the thoughts around the these videos or the branding or what the logo looks or the pens 
aren't traditionally what you'd see as like a operations B2B company. Yeah, yeah, which are, yeah, coming from somewhere like WeTransfer, which is the same same sort of yeah. Um, get up is yeah, probably quite exciting to work. Yeah, and for sure. Definitely exciting for us from the outside looking in. Like I remember yeah. when you first ever got in touch with us and we first were looking at the brand from the initial e like at least from the email you sent us to be like i work for recce yeah, which is yeah. just b2b chefs ordering app and i was like okay interesting and then you yeah. click on the website and it's just a totally yeah different experience which it's like an exhibition spot. it's like clicking the gallery yeah like, well. yeah exactly yeah yeah as creative people it kind of i was like wow yeah. this puts our website to shame at least for sure <laughs> cool i guess we've been sort of playing a bit uh a bit nice with you so yeah. far so it'd be good to get into some of the challenges like mostly i guess the first one so you've already talked about it quite a lot with chefs but it seems like they're, they're, you know, maybe mistrusting is, isn't the right word, but they're maybe a tough audience group yeah. to get to know, get close to. They have loads of time, like you said, and when you do have their time, um, you need to make sure that you're connecting with them in a, in a way that matters. What do you think is the main complacency with uh, chefs and why they're not taking up recce maybe or the difficulty of them, you know, sticking mm. with the app or what, you know, what, what is it that... Yeah you're rubbing up against or trying to challenge in the kitchen at the moment? Changing your workflow, I think is so difficult. Like for me, I have like a very specific way of working. And when it's that, even if I get like moved desks, I'm a bit like, feel a bit weird about it for a couple of days. And I think understanding that not only are they busy, time pressured, tired, you know, stressed, you're then saying, hey, you know that whole way of working that you figured out that the whole industry has taught you how to work? How about you now use an app that's going to be completely different? And like how you convince someone to do that, I think is really difficult. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge we have. It's not, they, I think they are skeptical maybe or suspicious, but I think that you can have that in lots of different en industries because ultimately we're a tech company and it's kind of like, well, what do you want from me? What are you going to gain from doing that? And I think to ever kind of, try and come across like no we're actually trying to help is always like a bit of weird it's kind of weird to convince people yeah. um so i think it's just respecting that and then trying to find ways to grab attention in some way or prove that you're authentic yeah, we would approach a brief most of these things boil down to awareness and engagement yeah you need awareness in the first instance so that people actually know what the fuck you are or yeah. who, who you are basically and then after the fact, you need once they once you grab their attention for probably all of five seconds, mm. <laughs> you, and you've got their yeah. email or you've got their exactly. like on Facebook or their whatever. Yeah. Then you need to make sure that you're consistently engaging them either with, and everyone automatically says, oh, with content or emails or yeah. it, that, that's not necessarily true. It might yeah. be different things. It might be event. It might be that it's like events. It might be that it's a, a, literally a classic door-to-door -door sales rep yeah. who comes in every single week and says, hey, how you doing, John? Yeah. Like, how's the, how's yeah. the restaurant today? Like can I talk can I help you with anything can I look for anything through the app with you mm. like that might be that's an old-fashioned way of doing things but it might be the right way for, mm. for, for that business but it always boils down to awareness and engagement can I go back because yeah. there was actually you I had a question for you guys but it's linked to the shutter campaign yeah. because you said to me how do I know like has the shutter ca campaign been successful yeah. and I was like oh well okay if I think about it like we didn't have QR codes on it because you couldn't do it with the shutters. So like, yeah. I didn't have anything that I was like clicking on to say like, oh, well, yeah, we've seen X amount. We targeted people with the shutter content, yeah. which I think went like, you know, we got a lot of views. We did a shutter video and actually people really, I sent uh, Sam the brief of um, Prodigy Smack My Bitch Up for yeah. the video. And that really resonated, like people loved it. 
um, with again that like POV. But I thought it was interesting that you said like, was it successful? And I was going to ask you, but like, how would I deem? I guess that's successful. There's a few different ways that we would recommend that clients do that. I think ultimately that. It, even though it was out of the box thinking, it still was an awareness driving campaign. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's what you were hoping to gain from that. Yeah. Other chefs see other chefs in the vicinity that you didn't have the shutters of seeing that shutter and saying, oh, what's this recce thing? Let mm -hmm. me sort of check mm -hmm. it out. Um, obviously, one of the first instances, if you really want to track clicks, you could have a QR code or a, or a web address. But that's, again, awareness driving um, media isn't supposed to be doing that. Yeah. So a few of the things that you could do is you would um, do varying levels of brand tracking. So one option, you take, literally just take pictures of all of the different shutters that you have from mm. uh, all of the different creatives effectively that you put up there, run an A-B test on Facebook. If you go up to 30K spend, you unlock a brand uplift, mm. um, uplift survey. You can literally see which of those um, winning creatives perform the best in terms of people recognizing who Recky are, but then maybe you can run a bit of sentiment, ask one question around, do you think Recky is a trusting, strong, mm. secure, mm. likable, whatever the whatever the yeah. sentiment you're trying to drive type of brand? Mm. So that's one way of doing it, um, which may be a little bit more costly in the short term. Um, and then the other thing you could do in the long term is probably work with a low level brand tracking partner mm. or or, br or run a brand survey. So there's things like Taluna is like mm. a, a survey tool that I've used previously when I was doing like strategy pieces. Mm probably pay like a grand or two to run a survey on there to three or four hundred people and you mm. can get quite granular with the audience as well because it's not like a Facebook thing like everybody's signed up with their data mm. because mm. they're getting something in return for doing the survey so you can probably see say I want to talk to people who work in the hospitality industry mm. um, and run the survey with them between these age groups in the city mm. and you, you could you could run that effectively um, so that's that's another option and then the third thing which you might want to do, and this isn't linked to awareness, mm. um, and this is linked to, and we, we kind of talked about this before when we were talking about doing some uh, more traditional out of home, um, is the number one thing I think at the moment that um, scale up brands, just brands in general are neglecting the fact of if they try to do out of home or TV or any above the line media, mm. is the impact it actually has on your digital marketing. So running an out of home campaign isn't just going to help with brand awareness is going to drive down your cost per acquisition. So mm. a really great case study online you can look at for Habito. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the things, when they first, their ads were uncommon, that was one of the things that worked brilliantly for them mm. was having um, this national TV ad out, out of that moment. And they cleverly kind of anticipated it beforehand. They ran a control group with uh, ads, you know, they're running their typical ads on, mm. on, a, uh, uh, on Facebook and Instagram at the time. Um, seeing what their cost per acquisition was in that control period, whether it was a month or two yeah. months before that, that fact. And then knowing that they were having this six-week period of the TV ad, they would then run those ads at the same time. They were obviously doing a national campaign, so they could just do it nationally. Yeah. But say you were running a campaign in just in East London mm -hmm. or just in Shoreditch or just in one region, Greater London, mm. you could do the same. You could, you know, you know Monaco, who works in the team, yeah. could, set, could set up that, that test. Uh, you could do, so I guess with the shutters, it's a little bit different because they might have been split over an, a number of different areas, but you could say, okay, we're going to run the shutters for four to six weeks mm. and then see what impact it has on our cost per acquisition. I'd be very surprised if it didn't, in some way impact it because human nature is, um, and I don't have a statistic behind this, but uh, there definitely is one out there. Yeah. Um, human nature just dictates that when we see a brand out in the wild, when we see it on a 
poster, whether it's just one poster or multiple posters, mm. or when we see just an activation out yeah. there, it naturally builds trust and recognition. You, you assume this is a big brand, you assume this is a big business because they can afford to be doing advertising, yeah. which is one of the, the yeah unwritten superpowers, I guess, of, mm. of doing brand activation. Um, not necessarily just advertising, but anything from like PR stunts to shutter campaigns mm. to whatever that might be. So, yeah. What's actually very nice to know, yeah. just one for me, is that this is the, the cost per acquisition is literally what I've started so like basically after the shutter campaign, I was kind of tasked with like, okay, how does brand awareness work? And that is literally what my last slide is, okay. is comparing like our digital cost, per, digital cost per acquisition versus our overall marketing costs and trying to understand, okay, what is going down if we've done a bigger activation like that? And can we kind of start to say that, oh, we saw we sp like, you know, spent more in June because of the shutters, but like mm -hmm. ultimately it went down after that over the next couple of months seeing if that has like some sort of impact. Are you exploring doing the shutter campaign in other cities? Because when we had a conversation, you're like, you want to yeah. test it in London and then see, yeah. see how it could work in other cities. What is, I think, tricky at the moment was actually doing that. It's kind of seeing if it works. Yeah. And I think that's also why I wanted to ask that question is how do you quantify this like buzz? So I can feel that yeah. there's this buzz when I'm like chatting to people to say like, they'll say, oh, I really like the shutter, or go to a meeting, they'll be like, oh, I love the shutters. But like, I can't really like quantify that at the moment. And so a lot of the research that I was doing around how do you say if something was a success or not is kind of what I'm trying to decide at the moment, therefore yeah. what we do next. Yeah, I guess, yeah, to look, well, that's what I mean. I guess that's then in an instance doing something like a brand tracking survey or a Tolina yeah. survey would make sense. Like, less so did you see shutters, but have you seen the, you can run one beforehand and you could say, have you seen or heard yeah. of the recce brand? And then you do the activity for six weeks yeah. or whatever it is and then run it in the same area of, of London and say, have you seen the recce brand? Even from that, from a period, even before you even say what they felt about the recce brand or, or what sentiment they had for it, just did, are you aware of us? Have, mm. have you seen recce? Have you heard of recce? Um, you'll see them pop up on like YouTube quite a lot if you watch YouTube videos. Mm. They, they do those little surveys that pop up sometimes like, which of these random brands have you heard of? Um, and me, as a marketer, I'm always like, let me think of the one I've actually seen because I know they're trying to get some good data. I respect data. the hustle. I was like, I respect I, the hustle. Yeah. Say, I always accept cookies. That's my like, yeah, number one yeah. thing. I'm always like, try and put out like cookie karma. I'm like, I always accept your cookies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as you accept mine. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Cookies, cookies for cookies. We always ask the question to everyone who comes on. And obviously, as you know, we're like lovers of like challenger brands. So we always believe in like looking outside of the category mm. for inspiration. But I wonder if you could just touch on some brands that you look to for inspiration and why and what work you've seen out in the wild recently mm -hmm. that you've really loved. I quite like brands who kind of do something different, like as in, it doesn't have to be that how they're branded and how they're targeting is necessarily completely linked to their product. So I think like Red Bull is like a classic example of using a brand to like have a product that makes it like somehow aspirational. Mm -hmm. And then they did like so much stuff from it. But I would say like, if I was gonna give you a modern update of that, I think what Cash App are doing at the moment with who they're using in their ads, how they're aligning um, their kind of brand is really interesting for something that again, could be a really boring brand. I know that there's obviously this thing with like Monzo and different companies that have made um, design-wise yeah. um, banks kind of more interesting. But I think what Cash App does is like actually take it another level of like getting celebrity endorsements. Like they just got PG Lang to do the yeah. new ad with Kendrick. Like I think that's amazing that they're then starting to like translate how money starts to fit into culture. And I think that's 
that was always kind of what I was, what I'm kind of inspired by. Yeah, one of the one of the interesting things I, I get, or one of the the interesting things that Cash App's done is it's really imprinted itself on culture. Whereas, yeah, you you look at a brand like a, a Monzo, and it's almost become a bit of an in joke. This thing behind the hot coral card that everyone knows it's called like hot coral and it's not orange anymore um which albeit when it first came about you know i was i was in spain being like oh i've got this monzo card. do you want a golden ticket do you want a golden ticket but that only lasts so long because the competition can catch up with that quite easily but being genuine part of culture is probably a bit harder and it's Mm -hmm. and it's a bit takes a bit longer to build that uh, brand of things it's less viral i Mm -hmm. guess you could say yeah um but it is more ownable in the in the in the kind of short term. Like Monzo definitely couldn't just start doing the stuff that Cash App are doing and, mm. and have it feel authentic. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great example. I wonder what came first, what the culture mean? or yeah. them. Like I wonder if it's then like I don't know how you'd even get into it. I'd song. like to, I'd like to say that it is it them being culture sort of came first by having in the same way. I guess um, then you have to be smart enough to hear that or like to know I that, right? that way around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like particularly the audience, like rappers, yeah, you're right, mentioning it in songs. I feel like if that was a, um, created or curated, then rappers would be really cynical a bit, right? Yeah. Whereas if no, they include yeah. it and then, yeah. then brands were like, fucking hell, we're in common yeah, culture yeah. here, let's double down. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's actually quite similar to, uh, there's a few different examples of that. OnlyFans, which is one of our clients, I think they had a massive cu- cultural imprint, um, uh, over, especially over lockdown, etc. And that's one of the things we're starting to try and help them navigate is how you control that narrative, mm-hmm. I guess. And then another really good example of that is um, uh, Burberry, um, which for, all, for one reason or another had this really high fashion, yeah. fashion luxury brand, right? And then around the turn of the 2000s, suddenly got adopted by chavs which is obviously yeah. the you know derogatory tra- term for yeah. just like working class people wearing stuff on you know tracksuits and, and yeah. burberry and it's a really interesting case study for because there's two ways you could it, with the cash app example especially as well you can reject that audience mm. and say oh the, these are the people who are starting to adopt our product but mm. we don't want them to so we're gonna you know shut down and, and cut them out um or we're going to evolve up, and that's what brand is right it's a relationship and it's an evolving thing so it's it's that's why people are called brand managers, literally, because your your job is to manage the brand, is not to just build it and say, this is what we are. Listen to us, to the to the customers. The customer's always right, arguably. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how they navigate that. And then eventually they had these adverts that had like really high, high-end photography with kind of that working class kind of Burberry style in them. And then eventually that just became part of high fashion as well, because fashionistas just like, again, it's one of the things behind like Crocs that I think is really interesting, yeah. but arguably at that, high end of fashion the coolest uncoolest thing becomes cool mm. because it's like well that's the most kitsch or yeah. most um, so everyone else is so cool that so if i do the uncool thing that's the, that's the yeah that's the convention breaking thing to do i think that i was actually thinking then it's like you look at someone like palace yeah in the thing of like actually they are so close to their audience but the partnerships that they do and stuff also feel like now you've got bigger brands like they've worked within like Stella, Calvin Klein, like mm. those kind of brands, they're like bringing them into like almost yeah, a cooler yeah. thing just by the fact that they know their audience so well. It's interesting, yeah, and it's the same thing that happens with Crocs. Like they're both they, um, in the Crocs and stuff. I think Croc, Crocs are partnering with all these high and high fashion mm. brands, and they're they're borrowing clout from those high fashion brands to to make Crocs kind of cool. Mm. But then in, on the flip side, when you've got brands like Balenciaga and all these high high mm. fashion houses, they're kind of doing the reverse, like they're they're partnering with 
a crocs because it's unexpected and i think that's the that's the name of the game especially in like that's some of the um conversations that we've had with clients like only fans in particular is like this idea of unexpected partnerships that's one of the best way to steal people's attention right now exactly yeah people are people are so desensitized almost to yeah. things that they see today so to really snap them out of them you have to do something really unexpected um yeah. and and that's how you see people approaching partnerships at least obviously supreme kind of pioneered that and started yeah, yeah. that from the get-go but um yeah you're seeing a lot of brands sort of follow suit now but don't you think that that's actually then like quite a big struggle in the industry is that you're constantly having to like i think it's a real weird mix at the moment with marketing it's like how unexpected can you be but also like make sure you've got your conversion right mm, mm. it's becoming more and more i guess of a yeah. demand of a team yeah and i also think that you can't do again partnerships for me builds part of like above the line marketing mm. and um you can't start doing above the line or think about advertising until i think you've got two things nailed down which mm. is one you've got a bit of product market fit so you've got people who are actually without doing promotion without doing advertising on mass maybe you're doing a few facebook mm. ads but they're, they're consistently using your product and you mm. have like sticky users so you're like okay i know this kind of works so there's there's because arguably advertising a product that doesn't have that fit can kill it quicker than quicker than um uh, than, than sort of not doing advertising because yeah, you're putting you a bad product <laughs> yeah you're putting a, you're putting a bad product out into the in, out into market um and then the second thing is really understanding what your brand is about, what you're saying. The reason why things like the Supreme collaborations really work is because Supreme is such a distinct, um, it's such a distinct brand. Like mm. everybody knows what Supreme stands for. It's that kind of skateboard, a New York skateboard culture, or just like skate culture in general, and that kind of almost like synonymous with youth culture in general. So then you know whenever Supreme partners with another brand, that's what the, that's the element that they're bringing to it. Mm. So I feel like yeah, you're right. If you do these unexpected partnerships without people already knowing what your brand stands for, it's a little bit like. Uh, like, what am I meant to think about this? Lastly, we've got um, yeah, reflections of the future of the brand. Um, so, what would you say for Recce is the um, sort of the major ambition? Mm. And you know, it can be long-term ambition, twenty, fifty years, however long, or five-year ambition. Where, yeah, what's the, what's the plan? I think I probably don't hype it up enough. Of like, there isn't no other marketplace out there, and so in that sense, we're completely changing how uh, chefs and suppliers work in the sense that. Now a chef, you could open a restaurant tomorrow. And traditionally what it would mean is that you'd maybe go to your like neighbour restaurants and ask, or you'd know from your job before, like some suppliers that you worked with. But you wouldn't be able to like go and shop. Or even if you'd have a supplier website, generally they don't have like a checkout on their website. You have to set up 30 day terms to be able to uh, start to order from them. It's like not a quick and easy experience. And, and from that, you're not able to compare prices. You're not be able to like shop around, look for new ingredients and, and therefore like, it limits you, I think, in some way. And so I think the future would be that everyone then is using Recce as a marketplace. It's using, you know, we kind of bring like chefs and suppliers together into the app and it means that then they're able to to shop and work together in a more kind of like efficient way. Um, that would be what I would want. It's kind what, of, we change the way that people work. And what what benefit would that create for the restaurant industry? Big big vision, would you? Yeah. Because to a certain extent, you're right, you're kind of democratising, or make it simpler to start a restaurant, yeah. sort out a supply chain, which I imagine if you're a chef, you want to spend more time in the kitchen and less dealing with bureaucracy, which yeah. most people are like. I know I'm certainly like that. Mm. So what's the what's the benefit? What is the, yeah, what is the industry benefit that you'll get from Recce? Rather than a bit of simplicity, mm. what do you think you'll enable? Would it be more restaurants popping up, more successful restaurants, less closures? 
I think it's when Renan had, who's the CEO, had Homer's Brothers, that was the thing that they said that, that was kind of the game changer, was that they realised, OK, rent, I can't change. How much we pay staff, I'm not going to pay them less. There was elements that were fixed. And the only thing that could change is if they changed and shopped around with suppliers, they worked in a different way. They started to think about how they were ordering, you know, they were able to kind of order from more suppliers. They were, you know, the tomatoes that they had been ordering for three years weren't necessarily the cheapest and best quality. It was just what they were doing. And I think then kind of challenging that way of working is what, what I think is exciting. And from that, having that variety not only can save money, but again, it can start to be that people are more creative about what they're doing. For the consumer, I think it's great, like being able to then use different ingredients and shop easily, like surely that can only really be a good, a good thing, I think for chefs and people eating out. Yeah, absolutely. That's so exciting. <laughs> That's such a great mission. Cool. The last thing that we asked for, which I yes. kind of you've written and sent us answer to before, but it's always nice to have it for the tail of the tape. For sure. Um, we asked some recommendations. We usually ask for a podcast, um, something that you've read, a book could be an article, um, and then a person to follow. So podcast, I recommended How's Work. She is like a couples and sex therapist, and then during lockdown she started doing this uh, podcast which is like basically live therapy listening to people about their problems at work but I think it's I think you can always take something from them uh, book I'm going to do a team plug actually Angela who just joined our team as the editor just wrote a book called Takeaway which I'd recommend I've started listening to it it's about her growing up in Wales her parents are Chinese she's Chinese and they uh, ran a takeaway and so she's done like a memoir um, it's got like recipes and her story in there, but um, it's great. So I'd recommend that. Yeah. And then person to follow, I put the Sussmans. They are, it's one guy, well, I think they're brothers actually. They run a restaurant in New York, but what I like about them, I think if you're talking about like these weird little like niches that you find is that they run restaurants then they create memes all about restaurant yeah. culture mm -hmm. um they're quite funny and he's really nice so i think he's a funny person to follow if you want to also see what the frustrations are of being a chef they've it's, got it pretty yeah it's actually really interesting you bring that up because we were talking we were i was talking about a brief that we've got at the moment for linkedin mm. um and uh talking to it about this other with this other kind of consultant that we're working with mm. and they mentioned as a way of like engaging on an ongoing basis they mentioned um rob mayhew mm. you've seen all his stuff mm -hmm. on linkedin at the moment i mean we would because we're yeah i guess we're in the ad industry but he he does these TikToks that are very much like that they're like memes about working in agencies where mm. it's like one of his best ones is like when everyone in the meetings like watching the sizzle reel that you've prepared for a pitch meeting and it's got like black skinhead over the top of it which is like yeah. literally literally <laughs> the song that you would put on at any oh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've got all the clients just there like and he does all of these like jo just joke tiktoks about what it's like to mm. work in advertising um and i think you're seeing lots of those types of yes. things pop up anywhere of, like people who have a really niche understanding of yeah. like one particular industry or for sector sure. and they're just like memeing it and taking the mick out of it um uh. And we are thinking about doing something similar for like recruitment with LinkedIn, but it, it's, it's funny. That you but it makes you feel understood, right? Oh, That's why yeah. you love it. You're like, oh. oh, they've got this like niche. And again, it's that doing something unexpected with um, out of home or ads or like that kind of stuff. That's, I think it's making our job harder is that you have to find those things to really prove now that you get it yeah. and that's actually like a really big challenge yeah. i think that is a massive challenge mm. well, maybe, a maybe that's a recce sponsorship right there <laughs> maybe just chuck a bag of money at them and then claim, <laughs> claim that you did it 
And then, yeah, the last question I just want to ask is who should we have on next? What brand yes. uh, should we have on next? I was also going to do a personal plug. I have a friend uh, called Natasha who has a uh, bag company called Roop and she makes sustainable bags and she does it in, um, in a way of tying. So she uses like all offcut of um, materials. But I think why she would be interesting for you guys, she's like a team of one person. She has one person who helps her make the bags, but she's created this like social social following and community around it and I think actually having something like that again with this like niche understanding I think is yeah. always good to have that. Cool. Thank That's you very it. much. That's Thanks it. for having me. That was great. Absolute pleasure.